Hi, this is Not America's Sweetheart, Davian, and you are listening to Wrestling With Entertainment. This is ZPB, and you're listening to Wrestling With Entertainment. This is Clay Wilson, and you're listening to Wrestling With Entertainment. This is Mickey Fulp, and you're listening to Wrestling With Entertainment. Hey, this is Beef Boy Elliot Tyler, and you're listening to Wrestling With Entertainment. This is Big Scary Ontario Independent Pro Wrestler Holden Albright, and you are listening to Wrestling With Entertainment. Hello, this is the Russian Dynamite Masha Slamovich, and you're listening to Wrestling With Entertainment. Hello, 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 and welcome to the show. It's Wrestling With Entertainment, bringing you the latest exclusive breaking news, previewing and reviewing the latest shows from WWE, AEW, New Japan, and everything in between. I am your host, James J. As always, beside me, Scooter Dust. Good evening, or should I say good morning from where I am? And we'll get into that in a moment. It's a great day for wrestling, because we are wrestling with the Russian Dynamite, Masha Slamovic. How are you today? I am doing rather well. How are you doing? I am doing good, a little bit tired, a little bit uh, cold. You're actually in uh, Japan as we record this, correct? That is correct. And what what is Masha doing in uh, Tokyo right now? Well, right now, I have just prepared myself to go work out as soon as we're done here. Oh, sweet. And what's, com- and what's coming up for you uh, in pro wrestling now? I believe, uh, and this is only a few things that I know because sometimes my schedule changes at the blink of, a, of an eye, I definitely have two more Marvelous shows this month, which would be on December 20th and December 28th. One is in the Aichi Prefecture, the other one is in Tokyo, and that pretty much wraps up uh, 2020 for me, unless there's other shows that I... I'm not aware of on my schedule. And where can we find you on social media? You can find me at Twitter and Instagram at Masha Slamovich. Sweet. And as we uh, alluded uh, before, it's um, currently in, as we record this, in California it is 2 a.m. In New York it is 5 a.m. Um, That's why I said 5 p.m. in New York and 5 a.m. a.m. James a.m. <laughs> it's late. We're so tired. No. <laughs> and it is 7 p.m. in Tokyo. Yes, that is correct. And what what a major time difference we all have from each other, huh? Ooh. You know, I thought that the three-hour difference was a major thing between me and Scooter, and but, but this is just ridiculous. <laughs> when you, 
when you first went to uh Japan, was that a major was there a major like jet lag? Absolutely not. Um I've made several many, many, many actually international trips with like time zone changes. And I pretty much just uh as soon as I get on the plane, I switch my phone over to Tokyo time. And I only slept like during you know, Tokyo nighttime, and then I stayed awake and worked out in the airport gym in Taiwan, where I had a 13-hour layover, which then brought me over to Tokyo at about 9 p.m. after, like, an absurd amount of travel, where I just went to bed, and then I woke up at 6 a.m. the next morning to head off to a show, so it was no problem whatsoever. Wait, there, there are gyms in Taiwan airports? Uh, I was in Taipei. And there was, like, four little, uh, they call it, like, sports parks or something like that. And they had, like, a bunch of gym equipment. So I was, like, perfect. I can get my cardio in, listen to my music. So, dude, they had showers and, like, changing rooms in there. It was crazy. They had, like, a little sleep station. It was probably one of the best airports I've been in, shockingly. I've actually seen a couple, one of those before. I've seen the micro the micro hotels and and whatnot. Everything's all about efficiency over there. That that's actually really awesome to hear. It, it was great because I would have went freaking bananas if I had to just sit in a chair for thirteen hours. You know, uh, there was like Jamba Juice and like food that you could get. There was like places to rest. The gyms, like I mentioned, it was it was a great time. Honestly, those thirteen hours flew right by. Sounds like more like a mall than an airport. <laughs> it really kind of was. I mean, I literally, I only discovered like two terminals of it. There was like four terminals. This was like a humongous airport. I'm talking about this is bigger than Orlando's airport. Um, it was crazy, man. Now you uh, alluded to uh, the promotion you've been working with, uh, Marvelous. Uh, could you maybe tell us a little bit more about it? Well, Marvelous is a promotion that was created by one of the Crush gals, Chigusa Nagayo, who is my boss. And she started it in 2016. And they also had run shows in for Marvelous USA, which ran in my hometown of New York City, or my home residence, or whatever you want to refer that to. Um and yeah, they have a dojo here in Japan, which brings over quite a bit of international talent. We've had the likes of Nyla Rose, Ray Lynn, um, uh, Renee Michelle here. We've had Queen Aminata here, Delmi Exo, myself, probably a few, a few other people that I'm missing. Um, and yeah, that's marvelous. They they run shows with other promotions. They run their own shows. It's a, It's a great time here. Now you trained with the 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 great Johnny Rods, and any New Yorker like myself who's a wrestling fan knows that. Well, if you're not a Long Islander, that the Johnny Rods school is the place to train. The un I don't want to say unusual, but it kind of is considering that you did something a lot of wrestlers in general, independent and in, you know, in the big leagues, I use that term 
figuratively, you actually, according to you know records, you started out your career in Japan. How did that come to happen? So I started training with Johnny Rods on November 22nd of 2014. Um, and I trained for just about a year and a half. Um, and during this time, we had scouts coming in from Mexico and Japan. Um, the women's promotion from Japan that I had started out at was called Reina Pro Wrestling. And at some point during 2015 or early 2016, I can't exactly remember, um, you know, there was like a tryouts and the scouts coming and we had uh, training sessions together and whatnot and I was still underage at the time so I couldn't wrestle on shows in New York State so <laughs> they had me make a fake ID so I could have like a tryout match just for you know for the scouts to view and I guess the, they were impressed with the match and then a couple of months later, they told me that I was expecting to go to Japan, and I had my official debut um, at a Reina Pro Wrestling show in Tokyo. Right. That, that, that is incredible, because we are huge fans of the Japanese wrestling scene. And again, that's just incredible. I have a follow-up question to that. What was your, your kayfabe name on your fake ID? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> what was my kayfabe name? I actually, it might have just been my real name or something like that, or like a co no, you know what? No, hold on. It was a combination of my real name and like my grandparents' maiden names or some shit like that. <laughs> so not Nick Papa Giorgio from Yuma. <laughs> no, no, no. It wasn't. It wasn't like. Something ridiculous like that. <laughs> <laughs> Could you uh, tell us about um, Japan and the culture and how that has affected you and how it's impacted you and your uh, your wrestling? Well, I have always been, you know, uh, starting out my career here being having just turned 18, graduated high school, and then pretty much just sent off to Japan two weeks later, dumped at a um, at my place of residence, and they're like, all right, we'll pick you up for the show, so just sort your life out, see ya. <laughs> so it was easy for me, probably because I was living in New York at the time, to just kind of adjust to living in Tokyo, and you know, we're always told when we come here, uh, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, so I pretty much just observe what people around me do and fall into doing the same patterns, be it the first time when I was here with Reina or now with Marvelous. I just took the time to observe how the girls here do things and kind of fell into line with that. You know, uh, obviously the only difference is that there is like no English speakers here. There's no English writing at like grocery stores or anything like that. So I pretty much just learned to figure it out. I learned how to read like food labels. And other than that, I just kind of navigate the city the way I would navigate any other city, really. All right. I was going to actually have a follow-up to that follow-up and ask you, how did your fluency in coming to understand how to read 
Japanese and speak it uh, proficiently develop over your time in Japan? Well, let me tell you, the reading and writing bit is hard as fuck because I cannot, like, if you told me to write something in Japanese, I can't, like, whatsoever. Um, the only way I know how to read is by, like, memorizing a word or, like, a symbol or a phrase, and then I look for that same word or similar phrase, and then I'm just kind of able to, like, match them up and be like, oh, hey, that means that. I saw that before. But, you know, like, I can I can read, like I said, food labels. I can decipher, like, who's wrestling who on a, on a card uh, if I try hard enough. But I can't, like, go into the train station and be like, oh, cool, that's my station. Like, I have no idea how to read the name of my station or write it for that fact. But when it comes to speaking and stuff, I just, again, it, you know, living here for 10 months now, a little bit over that, it just kind of grows on you. I just, you know, I listen, I memorize, I hear, and then I like try to take notes and repeat the words. And then it just kind of falls into my vocabulary. Sometimes I can um, understand what people are saying. Sometimes I can answer back. But, you know, by no means am I fluent in Japanese. <laughs> well, I mean, we had a, a brief conversation in Japanese before we started recording. And, I mean, I understood what you were talking about. Well, I'm glad because uh, that was a very <laughs> short conversation. And if it would have carried on any longer, I would have completely butchered it. <laughs> um, now, I'm probably as uh, proficient in Japanese at this time as you are. Uh, now, we started you started out your career in Brooklyn. You've, which is technically my backyard. My backyard also includes Queens, and you may as well throw in the Bronx and you know, Staten Island and Manhattan. You've oh, wrestled. You, you wrestled where I started out the New York Wrestling Connection. You've wrestled someone I started out in the business with, Nikki Adams, and I want to ask you about those matches but i have something very important to say from my nephew who is a huge vpw fan because the the elks lodge where vpw does their shows is right down the block from their house in center reach and he's my nephew whose name is ryan dust sends you greetings and wishes that you uh that you keep and tells you to keep up the great work that you're doing in japan thank you so much to ryan that name actually sounds familiar to me for whatever reason probably because i had wrestled in bbw for quite some time and was even a women's champion back a couple of years ago um you know, I kept trying to make plans to come back and do a show or two at VPW, but with my schedule the way it was last year, it just never happened, and now I don't even live there. So, I mean, hey, who knows what's going to happen down the road post this goddamn pandemic. Yeah. That's actually a great segue into uh, my, ne my next question. What has it been like, you know, wrestling in this pandemic era of wrestling? Have you been wrestling, um, have you done shows in uh, close sets, or have has there been uh, uh, large crowds? 
because it's very, I must, it's very different in Japan than where we are in America. So March 20th was my last live show before the state of emergency hit in Japan. I believe that happened on March 24th. And from like March 24th until probably maybe April 24th, I think for like about a month or something like that, we really didn't run any shows or anything like that. And then at the end of April or beginning of May, I can't remember, we started doing every other week we had shows in the dojo that were being live streamed and live taped. And that carried on for May and June. And then July 6th, we had our first live show. And ever since then, we've had we've been doing live shows and traveling. We've done shows in Tokyo. We've done shows in Osaka, Sendai, Aichi, um, stuff like that, you know, just all over the place. I, I did one in, like, Kanagawa, all that good stuff. And, I mean, on, ever since we got back to it, then we've just been – doing shows, you know, live people like normal, thank God, because doing the shows without the fans, I mean, of course, we were all happy to be wrestling, but it makes you appreciate the fans more because, you know, that's what it's all about. When you're wrestling, you want to have the fans there to entertain. You want to have the fans' reaction to what you're doing, and when you're just doing it in a dojo in front of a camera, you know, it's a bit of a different feeling. I, I could imagine, like, how do you approach a match knowing that nobody is in the crowd? How does that play into your your psychology? Well, the we were doing them live streamed um, from multiple different angles. Like, we had the, like, two big cameras. We had a bunch of people set up their phones to stream it to Fresh Live, which is, like, a streaming service we have here. We had some of them being streamed on like Twitter, Instagram, like, I mean, it was just streaming on everything that you could possibly stream it on. So it was like we were surrounded by fans in a sense, but they were just not physically there, but they were still there watching. So, you know, it was the same idea. Like, Hey, I am going to approach this the way I would approach any other match, but the importance is going to be working towards the people that are watching through the camera instead of like, I don't know, 100, 200 people that are, like, two feet away from the ring. Right. All right. Now, when you started out in Japan, you had a very interesting ring name. Some might even, at first glance, think of it as a villain from a horror franchise. Can you tell us what that was and how it came to be? <laughs> yes, the the original name that I will literally never live down. Um, so my original name that I had debuted in Japan with was Skin Ripper. And Dale's your that fake name, ID name. Pardon? Dale's your fake ID name. <laughs> You know what? It might have actually, you know, I, honestly, I think it was written on my fake ID. I still have it, like, in my house somewhere. <laughs> I have to dig it up and, like, take pictures of it. It's hilarious. I was Brazilian, just so you know. <laughs> I apologize. I interrupted you. <laughs> but um, the name came about to be, actually, 
it was a direct translation of one of my family names, which in Russian is pronounced Shubadyorova. And it like mm. legitimately translates to Skin Ripper. And that's how that came to be, because that's literally my name. Shubadyorova. I, I am uh, of uh, Russian uh, descent on one side. And of uh, Russian descent of, of both sides. Oh, we gotta do me. <laughs> well, we're still having a rivalry since the the whole hold and all play interview. So yeah. Mm. Uh, you uh you also wrestled for Impact Wrestling. Uh, you wrestled Jordan Grace, and I believe uh, Jessica Havoc. Yes, that is correct. Can you maybe tell us about that experience and um, how that came about? So the way that that came about was earlier in the year, I had done a tour in Canada and right that was in um, Quebec, Ontario and Manitoba for six weeks. And after that, instead of flying back to my house like any sane person, I said, hey, what the hell? I'm going to go tour in the Maritimes now. So I had a bunch of friends over there, and I contacted the promoters, and I got booked in a bunch of shows. And one of the shows had a seminar with Michael Elgin before it started, and I took part in the seminar. And I guess that my work at the seminar had impressed Michael Elgin because a couple of months later when they were in New York, he reached out to me. And asked me if I live there. And long story short, he invited me to come down and, you know, help set up the ring, all that good stuff. And I guess they needed like a small sized woman that day. So they came up to me and said, hey, you want to wrestle tonight? And naturally, I said yes. And that's how I ended up wrestling Jessica Havoc that night. Um, And the next night, actually, I had no idea that they wanted to use me again. And I had a different booking in New Jersey for CCW. And at like 4.30, I get a phone call from somebody and they're like, hey, where are you? Your match is at 6.45. And I'm like, my what? (laughs) And I pretty much just dropped everything I was doing, grabbed my suitcase and ran down to the location. I forget, Melrose Ballroom. That's and insane. I pretty much just walked through the door, got dressed, and then I walked out into the ring and had the match with Jordan Grace. It was that fast. I had no idea that was going to happen until yeah. it happened. Yeah, the Melrose Ballroom is literally about 10, 15 minutes from where I live uh, in Queens. A great place. A great place. Um, I think there's an interesting story here with a gap in your career you started in japan and came back to north america at the end of 2016 to compete for ccw uh, dojo wars and then there's a gap of about 20 months unaccounted for until your next match in august 2018 is there an interesting story there to that 20 month gap um, I actually continued. I, I like there's a few shows that I did during 2017. I there's there's records of me wrestling for Johnny Rods mm-hmm. and 
so yeah, I did that. I did CGW stuff. I did stuff at the Sanctuary in Pennsylvania. I was wrestling for Johnny Rods. I think I did a bunch of random, um, like Mexican shows that were run by somebody, whatever. And then I wrestled for VPW in August or September of 2017. Um, in in like a in like the backyard of a bar in Brooklyn. I remember it was like the Conor McGregor fight with like Mayweather that night or something like that. Yep. Um, yeah. So that was like the last show that I did, and then there was that break period of time, and then my next show after that was actually in June of 2018. Yes, it was in June of 2018 at BWF and then I started working at BWF and Kaiju until I left Canada later that year. That gap was, there was nothing special about that. I just took time off to recover from injuries that had built up from wrestling and from previous sports that I'd had partaken in. It's common with uh, most of us in, uh, in the, in the business. All right. You also, uh, I noticed you also uh, have wrestled men as well, uh, a couple of intergender matches. Uh, could you tell us maybe some of the advantages and disadvantages of uh, wrestling a man rather than a woman? I thoroughly enjoy taking part in intergender wrestling, likely because I was, again, trained by Johnny Rods, which was predominantly men. And I was trained pretty much all by men. So I was actually probably more comfortable doing those matches because, you know, I was trained at Johnny Rods to be a bit of a hard hitter. And I don't know. I just kind of enjoyed being the underdog and going out there and proving that I can hang with anybody because that's all that I've ever known how to do in wrestling and in life. Now, is there a difference in the energy level of the crowd when you're performing in Japan compared to a crowd in the USA? Would you say you prefer one over the other or both equally? A hundred percent there is a difference because in Japan, most foreigners get caught off guard by the fact that the Japanese fans are not as, like, rowdy as American fans. You know, the American fans are, like, like the second you walk out there, they're screaming and trying to grab you, and they're jumping out of their seats, and they're getting ridiculous. And in Japan, you walk out, and everyone's just, like, kind of clapping along to your music, and then you wrestle, and it's just total silence. They're actually just so interested to watch what you're doing because they understand it, you know? So they're literally thoroughly observing your wrestling. And then when you do something to make them react, they'll like cheer or or they'll all start clapping. And then it'll just quiet back down again until like the very end of the match when it's, it's very heated and they don't know who's going to win and it gets really excited, but it all goes up and down. So we get really excited and then start walking really excited and start watching as compared to in America where everyone's just going apeshit for like the entire match and people are screaming things and, you know, um, personally, I obviously I like 
the fans and the crowd everywhere here, there, Canada, Puerto Rico, whatever. But I am just more accustomed to the Japanese crowds, you know, because I started out here and I've been here for so long that this is just kind of what makes sense to me. Uh, And a quick follow-up. Japanese wrestling has the 20 count as opposed to the 10 count in America. I just, for my own personal reasons, did that take some getting used to, that 20 count? Hell no. I wish we had a 20 count in America. Damn. So do I. (laughs) And uh, would you say that you maybe prefer the Japanese style of wrestling uh, to the American style or... What would you say is the better, what style you prefer a little bit more? Well, to say better is, uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say that because I believe that there is. Differences. There's good, there's a good in diversity. There's, it's a good thing that there's wrestling that's different in Canada, America, Mexico, Japan, Britain, Germany. You know, it's it. There's something for everybody, and to me personally, I thoroughly enjoy the Japanese style. I always have more than say the American style. Uh, I have always been a huge, huge, huge fan of pro wrestling Noah, and that is the style that I'm most familiar with working. Even you know, I'm more familiar with that style compared to the Joshi pro wrestling style, and that is how I formulate most of my matches. That is what makes sense to me. That is how my mind operates. So clearly that is the style that I'm drawn to personally. Now your nickname is the Russian Dynamite. Uh, You do a diving headbutt. Dynamite Kid seems to be uh, an influence on you. Could you maybe tell us what maybe attracted you to him and his style? Dynamite Kid, uh, and for that matter, Chris Benoit, have always been not only attractive to me in their style of wrestling, but there was just something about the way that they carried themselves and the way they walked and the way they like did interviews that, you know, I just felt like I could relate to that. Maybe it's the whole, like, Napoleon complex where you're like the smallest person but you have to be the strongest person in every room you know and it's just that that quickness that toughness you know growing up uh where I did between it being in Moscow Russia and Jamaica Queens you know I kind of I was always a that small white girl but I was always one of the toughest people I had to be and that kind of carried over into the rest of my life and to my personality and it carried over into the ring so naturally I found myself uh, enamored with wrestlers such as Dynamite Kid and their the style of him and Benoit was very attractive to me as well. I have to just um, second that because I'm when I was in the business I'm 5'4 150 pounds and the typical expectation is oh I should be flipping off everything when I couldn't flip off 
the bottom rope to save my life. And yes, I also you know, modeled my style on the the guys who were shorter but more technical, like the Dynamite Kid, like the Chris Benoit. So definitely second that. Now, you've been in the ring with some of the greats of Japanese women's wrestling, such as Tomoko Watanabe and uh, Miko Satomura. What is what was that like for you as a competitor, and what impact has that had on your in-ring work? Well, you know, wrestling with some of the greats in Japan is, you know, these are like dreams come true for me, as cheesy as that sounds, because, you know, I was never a person who, like, made lists or, like, had dream matches. I just kind of, you know, did whatever came my way. But... You know, I said, what the hell? And I made a list of, like, people that I wanted to wrestle. And it was surprisingly fast how I checked off people off of that list. Um, for example, wrestling Takumi Roha and Shigusa Nagayo in one match when I was uh, teaming up with uh, Hosuzuki Mei against the both of them in the main event uh, in Yokohama was probably one of the greatest matches um, that I've had up to date. And then... Teaming with Meiko Satomura was 100% a dream come true for me. And, you know, we we had, like, a really good chemistry working together. So I look forward to more of that hopefully happening in the future or getting to face her one-on-one, you know, and wrestling with the likes of Tomoko Watanabe and uh, Sakura Hirota and other people. It's just very... I'm thankful for those opportunities and it's always a learning experience because these women have like 20 plus years of experience, which is somewhat unheard of for women in the United States, um, you know, from, from my perspective. So it's always a learning experience and it's always really fun to kind of switch it up because they do things a little differently, you know, being a bit, <laughs> not 20 years old and it's always fun to do something new and learn how to make it work and have fun with it. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Well, uh, maybe on another note, I'm a ramen junkie. I love all things ramen. I, I, It's one of my favorite dishes. Where are some of the best places to get a bowl of ramen in Tokyo, Japan? Or just in Japan First in general? First of all, everywhere, mm -hmm. because I have never had bad ramen here anywhere. Yeah. But I I don't know like how to pronounce the name of this or whatever, but me and Tekla from Ice Ribbon used to frequent this one little spot in Zushi, which is in Kanagawa. Um and there and it was like right by the beach. And there was this ramen shop that served beer and ramen and, like, what do you call these things, damn it? Um, oh, Christ almighty. It's dumplings. There we go. So let me let me tell you that this was, like, the best spicy ramen I've had because it is so spicy that your, like, nose starts running and you're, you're all getting all watery-eyed and stuff. But it's just so damn good that you just, like, have to keep going and we went there like two or three times and you're just like drinking beer and eating ramen. And I'm telling you, that was like my favorite spot. I hope I get to go back <laughs> because 
out of all the places that I've tried ramen in Tokyo, in Chiba, in Saitama, Zushi Kanagawa, that one that one little spot by the train station near the beach takes the damn cake for best ramen. Now, yeah, most uh, Americans and college students think of ramen as just broth and noodles. Did this place serve it up properly with fish cakes and all the accoutrement? Oh, hell yeah. They had, like, the spicy uh, broth, and they had the noodles, and then they had, like, the, the vegetables and all that good stuff, or, like, the green stuff. They had the fish cakes. They had pieces of beef in there. They had a, um, a boiled egg in there. Wow. The presentation was A1. Yum. Uh, uh, now... The stories about what happens to new male wrestlers in Japan with the so-called initiations are infamous to wrestling fans. Finn Balor cleaning toilets and washing the senior wrestlers, among other things, comes to mind. Now, new talent and rookies are usually the ones typically doing the grunt work, like sweeping, setting up the ring, chairs, that sort of stuff, uh, as is expected from rookies. You know, to work their way up and earn their place in the locker room. But like I said, the legend of what rookies, male rookies at least, do in Japan is infamous. Please, please tell me that those infamous initiations do not occur in the Japanese women's locker rooms. Oh, they do. Um, Uh-oh. Well, regarding myself, um, I did not come here as a young girl. I came here, at, well, not. I'm talking about like now with Marvelous, I came here with a couple of years experience. So mm-hmm. naturally I still like set up the ring and everything because I literally just don't feel comfortable sitting around and not doing that. You know, mm-hmm. being from Johnny Rods, we were always taught help. Don't yeah. just be a useless mop. So I run in there and I set up the canvas. I put out the flyers, whatever it needs to be done because that's just how I am. But the young girls, they have to like, sanitize everything they have to second all the matches they have to carry the gear to the back and then like in the dojo our young girls have to cook and clean everything we have 16 dogs they have to take care of all the dogs you know if there's any issue if the dog pees somewhere the dog throws up if i don't know something happens in my room i just lean out of my room and i'm like hey come in here and help me fix this or like hey come do this it's like they literally just run to every beck and call of every single person in this house um, until they're not a young girl anymore. So they pretty much just do everything. And I, yeah, you guys are getting the drift of that, <laughs> you know. All right. Uh, well, I have a follow-up question to that. Uh, you know, usually gaishings are heels when it comes to uh, Japanese crowds. Um, have during uh, an, an event, have you ever beaten up one of the young girls? Like a Suzuki um, down? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I am um, <clears throat> kind of like a mega healer or whatever because most of the girls who came to Marvelous were, you know, more friendly with, like, the fans or whatever, or, like, more girly and cheery and happier however you want to put that and then there's me who's just angry and miserable and I literally have like fought everybody here you know beat in training or matches or whatever the case may be it's like who's the massive dickhead monster's the massive dickhead 
right. Now, there's another legend as it pertains to Japan and wrestling, and that's the famous Ribera Steakhouse. Have you ever been, and do you own one of those infamous Dayglow jackets? First of all, there's two stories that I will tell about Ribera. The first one being um, after my debut match uh, back in 2016, the famous fat-ass Masa came hey. to the show that night, and he took out me and several other girls to Ribera. So I literally debuted and then went to Ribera Steakhouse not an hour later. Uh, naturally, being an absolute nobody, I did not get a jacket at that time. And then this year, I actually went back the day of my 22nd birthday with a bunch of friends and a sponsor. And I did end up getting my nice zebra jumper that night. Awesome. Yes. Now, a uh, quick follow-up question, Todd. Maybe not a follow-up question. Pineapple on pizza. What's your stance? Okay. Okay. So hear me out here when I say, if you just take a regular pizza, like a plain pizza, and you put pineapple all over it, I'm here for that. Where you fuck shit up is when you put ham all over the pizza. Stop <laughs> doing this shit. Just put the pineapple and leave the ham off, and we can all be fucking happy. <laughs> wow. I think that's the first time uh, any of our guests have said they prefer just the pineapple. And I, Dude, when they when they serve like what is it called a Hawaiian slice or something, I'm like, yo, I'm here for it. I'm like, you want to put pineapple, kiwi, I don't care. Put all the fruit on top of the pizza. That shit is just gonna make it interesting. The ham that they put on there just tastes like shit to me, and I'm like, stop. <laughs> just 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 leave the fruit as it is. Just <laughs> just leave the pineapple on there. I was not expecting such a passionate um, answer to that. And 40 minutes into this interview, our first uh, F-bomb. <laughs> Two F-bombs, actually. <laughs> I, I, I tried to control myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, the pa I, hey, I dig the passion. <laughs> I am passionate about food. I am a fat ass on the low. When I am not training, I am eating. <laughs> Like, you and me both, pal. That's <laughs> all. Oh, man. Oof. I mean, I could. I think we maybe need to do another another podcast with wrestlers just talking about food. Because that has, been, that has literally been the only two topics we've ever had on the show. Has been wrestling and food. <laughs> yeah. Poutine has been a big thing with the, our recent streak of Canadian guests. And, of course, the, the food is so much more interesting in other parts of the world. Or, Yo, yeah. um, let me tell you, I love Canadian food so much. But poutine, not my jam. Cannot get behind that. You break all the I'm kidding. <laughs> oh. I could probably do a 30-minute podcast on how much I love Tim Hortons, though. Okay, that makes up for it. Hey. <laughs> Scooter, you have another question. Um, 
are you truly the last gaijin? And how did that well, happen to be? Uh, after everybody else had left, that being Jamie Hayter, Bea Priestley, down the XO, uh, for the time, there was only myself and Tekla from Ice Ribbon here. And I was not aware of her until we met um, on the night of my birthday, actually. So essentially, I was the last guy in here because until Bea Priestley came back a couple of months ago and then Tekla left a couple of months ago, I was the only Gaijin wrestler here for the time. So yes, that was accurate because literally everybody else had left either due to the pandemic or their tour or like whatever the case may be. And I was still here and I still remain here. And I believe that is on a shirt on a pro wrestling tea store of yours. It is. I have several shirts on ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Masha Slamovich. There is the normal Masha Slamovich shirt. There is the Last Gaijin t-shirt. Then there is a shirt that was made by... Crap, I just knew their name. It fully gimmicked. It's the tan shirt. And then I have my latest shirt, which is made by Rock Moo Jr. And it is the shirt called Masha X Haruma, which is my dog wearing my gear. And I think it's cool as hell. <laughs> that, that sounds absolutely incredible. And we will collect all that information. And if you are listening, you can find it in the description below. And I think we might just buy one or two and give them away to our listeners. Don't only support Masha Slamovich, support Marvelous Pro Wrestling and all of the work we do with our dogs and my lovely Akita Harma, who deserves all the love in the world and is currently sleeping next to me. And it is time for that segment once again. Masha Slamovich's Bizarre Adventure. You are a professional wrestler. You travel up and down the roads. Weird, bizarre, and crazy things are bound to happen. Could you tell us a story that maybe fits that description? Hell yeah, I can tell you a story like that. Um, It is one of my go-to stories that happened when I was doing the famous ice roads tour up in Canada where we would get into a van and drive over frozen lakes onto remote villages of the native people of Canada and wrestle there because we hate our lives so much and we love (laughs) wrestling so much and we have nothing better to do with our time than do that. And so one day we were almost at the end of our tour of Ontario and we were driving over to Manitoba next and we stopped in this place called Pickle Lake and we were trying to get over to I forget where I need to pull up Google Maps to get this info but basically we got stuck in Pickle Lake overnight because the road and I say road loosely because it was not a road it's literally just driving in the bush Um, that place was closed and the other road had like a truck that was driving 
and I shit you not, it was driving a whole house, but the house like fell through the road and it was like stuck there. So we couldn't go there either. Anyways, the next day they tell us like, Hey, you can, you can take this other road and you can get to this town. So we're like, cool, six hours, whatever. This is like a short day for us compared to like 18 hour drives. So we get in the van and we start driving and about an hour in, we get stuck in the snow and we're trying to push the ring van out and it's not budging. So we literally had to stand on the side of the road or like the middle of the road and unload the entire ring, the set, like everything that we had in the van, push the van out, put all that shit back in the van to only drive 40 feet and then get stuck again. And by this point, we're all just like, fuck, like, this is not going to be six hours. You know, this is. And so we're pushing the van out and it's getting dark out and it's like negative 30 outside. There's like wolves howling in the bush (laughs) and we're here with like flashlights and we get the van out and then we go and then we get stuck again. I think we got stuck like five or six times that night. And we had, like, thank God that there was some truck that was heading in the other direction that, like, stopped to help and pull us out and, like, escort us the last bit um, and across the lake. That was, by the way, the lake was melting. They were like, oh, there's, like, a little bit of water on top of the ice, but it's okay, guys. Come on. You know, and at this point, we've been jumping out of the van. Every time we get stuck, I'm over here with the rope climbing under the ring van being like, all right, push, guys. And we almost ran down our promoter once because he was on the wrong end of the of the van. I think and it took us <laughs> it took us like twelve or thirteen hours. And by the time we got across, like out of this bush, across this lake, and to the school, because we were just staying on the gymnasium floor, like we jumped out of the van and we're like fucking kissing the ground. We're like, thank you, God. Like we're not fucking dead. We didn't get ate by wolves. We didn't drown. And everyone is like, we just filled into the building. And everyone was just like, yo, fuck everything. We're just going to bed on the floor. Like, good night. Do not talk to me until tomorrow. <laughs> and yeah, me and me and a couple of the guys just stayed in the kitchen and drank coffee. And we were just looking at each other like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> like, Good story. Yes. Trina, you have uh, another question? Um, yes. And this will probably segue into our uh, last segment. But just to uh, kick it off, Japan is known for having a very eccentric culture. What is one thing you've seen in Japan that has really weirded you out? Not disgusted you, just seemed really strange that would be and I cannot for the life of me remember what show this was on but this happened at some point during 2016 there was a match and I I think I was like either I think I was in the crowd for this one yeah I had to be or I was like second I don't remember but I, I I don't remember the circumstances, but all I remember, and I have a clip of this on my phone, there was a guy wearing a diaper with a giant black dildo strapped onto him on top of the diaper. 
And then, and there's like three other guys in the ring also wearing diapers. And I swear to everything in the world, he gets up on the second rope. He pulls a gun out of the diaper. He points the gun at everybody in the ring. They all raise up their hands. He throws the gun out of the ring and does a cross body dildo first onto one of the guys. And I fucking lost it. I, I got to. That is. Wow. That I was not, I was not prepared for that, that story. But I am so glad you that you told it. I literally, I have never in my life like been speechless about a match, but that was the time that I just stood there and I was like, I just don't know, guys. Like, I just, what am I supposed to say to this? I I, I think that counts as. A vicarious bizarre adventure. Yes. <laughs> yes. If, if you could please message one of us that video, that would be awesome. Or put it on your social I will media. Look for it, and I will try to send it to you guys. <laughs> uh, on a more serious note, where do you see yourself in five years? I. I'm asked this question a lot, and I will be honest with you, I have no idea. I will 100%, you know, God willing, I don't, like, get injured or something, be wrestling. I don't know where. I don't know if I'm going to get signed somewhere in America. I don't know if I'm going to get signed somewhere in Japan. I don't know if I'm still going to be on the independent circuit in Canada, Australia, if I'm going to go to Mexico. I don't know. I'm just going to take it day by day, month by month, and see where the hell the wrestling world takes me, where the road takes me, because if you would have asked me last year what I would be doing this year, living in Japan would not have been the answer, because I could have never predicted that this would happen to me, and it's been probably the best thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life, so if I'm still going to continue to live in Japan for the next five years, then I am thrilled and excited and looking forward to it, if I end up leaving and traveling the world and coming back here, I'm looking forward to it. You know, they, what what is it that they say? The wheels may change, but the trip is always worth it or something like that. Mm -hmm. Damn right it is. We've asked a lot of people, a lot of independent talent, that question. And that, I have to say, is the most honest and genuine answer I think we've ever gotten. Without a doubt. And it's the honest truth because I, you know, there's there's no saying what's going to happen. Like, especially like, look, we got a damn pandemic this year. Like, I could have never told you that this would happen last year. I could have never told you that I would live here. And if you asked me two years ago, you know, everything that I would have done last year, I would have told you you were freaking crazy. And to be able to predict five years ahead is absolutely asinine because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And whatever happens, it's going to be for the best. That is my honest opinion. All we can do is stay positive and especially in wrestling, just enjoy the road, enjoy the trip, enjoy the experiences because this is a life that very few people get to live. And I'm honored and blessed to be able to do that. Awesome. And what is a match or opponent that people should go out of their way 
to look for that best shows off what Marshall's Slammovic is all about? Uh, a lot of the matches that I do here are not up on the internet quite yet. They will be soon. But there is a match from my debut at Sendai Girls against Mei Hosuzuki, which is a very good match, in my opinion. And I guess that's the only one that comes to mind to recommend right now because I don't think there, there are many of my Japanese work up quite yet because Marvelous will upload them shortly. Well, I'm, well, I'm going to uh, recommend you guys check out Masha's match against uh, Nikki Adams uh, from uh, Warriors of Wrestling. And I'm, I'm also going to recommend, if you can find it, your match against Chris Statlander for the VPW Women's title, if you don't mind. Uh, that, I have not seen that match in forever, and if you find it, send it to me, because <laughs> that was so long ago. Absolutely. That was like two years ago, shit. Like, over two years ago. And we're nearing the conclusion of this interview. So it is time we are wrestling with the eight questions of Doom. This is a speed round and you could ask them, you could answer them however you see fit. First thing that comes to mind, think about it however you see fit. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Excluding yourself, greatest wrestler of all time. Dynamite Kid. Worst wrestler of all time. Oh, God. Oh, God. I need a second. Worst wrestler of all time. Oh, God. I forgot every wrestler who's ever wrestled just now. <laughs> oh, good Lord. We could uh, maybe help I, you out. We, 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 do, we do have a default answer. Tell me it. Steve McMichael. Let's absolutely go with that one. <laughs> That's three. That's three. Your main event in WrestleMania for the Women's Championship. Who is your opponent? Past or present? Mm-hmm. Mako Satomura. Okay. If you could come out to anyone's entrance music, past or present, who would it be? Benoru Suzuki. Ooh, ah. A little Kazde Nino Ray? Hell yeah. I dig it. Finish the sentence. Kayfabe is... Something we should all be doing. Good answer. Squash. Is it a fruit or a vegetable? A vegetable? It is indeed a fruit. It's a fruit? It is yes. a fruit, yes. It huh. has seeds. It is, and we asked that question, and it is a running gag on our Saturday show. And all you well, did... What, and what you just did was just fill a 
Phil Calico Yacha on a co-host with Joy because he will fight you till he will fight you if you tell him that Squash is not a vegetable. And we've actually had that fight. <laughs> yeah. I don't give a damn about squash. I don't even eat that stuff, so. <laughs> <laughs> New Japan pro wrestler Tai Chi's Ringo gets smaller each year, revealing more of himself to the world. My question What is the appropriate trunks to butt cheek ratio for Ringo? Well, that depends whose butt we're talking about, because there are some butts that I'd happily look at and others I would gouge my eyes out to never see again. That is that is a good answer. <laughs> and the last question, the one we've all been waiting for, the main event. Have you ever had a conversation with a complete stranger in a supermarket about Darby Allen? About Darby Allen? Yes. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> and that is the correct answer. Uh, plain to the point, another running gag on our Saturday show. <laughs> and once as we conclude this interview, could you tell us once again where we can find Masa Slamovic on uh, social media? Y'all can find me at Twitter. And on Instagram, at Masha Slamovich, you can find my stuff on ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Masha Slamovich. And finally, and most importantly, y'all can now find me on Patreon forward slash Masha Slamovich. There is content up the ass, not my ass. (laughs) Very specifically not my ass, but there's a lot of good content. Up your ass there. Come visit. Come hang out. All the exclusive stuff, all the good stuff, all the fan interaction is there. And you can find that information in the description in the video uh, description of the video below on YouTube and Castbox. And we will be returning this uh, Saturday for the preview and review format of the show. I don't know what we'll be talking about it about, but I'm sure we will be talking about it. And you can also find us on social media. Uh, you could also like, subscribe, and comment both on YouTube and Castbox. That's deeply appreciated. And you can find me and Scooter on Twitter. You can find me at JamesJ993. Where can they find Scooter Dust? You can find me on Twitter at ScooterDust and holding it down for the UNB Wrestling Network at UNBS Wrestling. And for the first time ever, I'll plug my Instagram, the real ScooterDust, except no substitutions. And also, don't forget, the remix coming to you live for every WWE pay-per-view and NXT event, live alternate streaming commentary, no other podcasts on the web. Does it like the remix does? It certainly doesn't. For our race special guest, Marsha Slamovic, I am James J, Calico Yachts, Mitch Mayhem, Scooter Dust. This has been Wrestling Wit. 
entertainment.